During chapel today, note the various references to seeing, hearing, and understanding as we seek to connect with God and each other. Okay, if everyone can turn in their hymnals to number 143, and we'll be singing verses 1 through 3. Do 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 That was Adrian Nesbitt leading our hymn. And today you're being led in this chapel service, this time of worship, by the students from The Power of Story. It's a theater class offered each spring, and it's open to all students. And as I've been listening to the various texts that the class has presented so far this semester, I started to notice a connecting theme something I call turning points of discovery. So that will serve as our theme for our worship this morning, and I'd like you to listen and watch for those moments of discovery by an individual or by a group of people in the story. The, the moment when you know you've witnessed or discovered something new, and now your life will, will never be the same. That's something that will come through. Uh, first, though, we'd like to uh, have an introduction by Paul Sturry from Ecopax. Good morning, everybody. And uh, I love stories, and I also love stories through song. And I want to invite all of you to come to a concert 
which is basically the grand finale of Ecopax's Earth Week. And it's this afternoon at 1 o'clock in Newcomer 19 with Charlie King and Karen Brandau. And Charlie, I saw sing in Scottsdale, Arizona at a No Nukes concert or rally uh, 20 years ago. And then Karen joined Charlie in 92 after she did some service in Guatemala. And they've been singing ever since. And I hope you enjoy their story today, and I hope you enjoy them today at 1 o'clock. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that, Seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them is indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have shut, so they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with, with their, their heart, heart and, and turn, and, and I, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear. But did not hear it. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. One of the first assignments for the class this semester was to uh, look at a poem and analyze the speaker in that poem. That may not necessarily be the poet, the, the author of that work. And I gave them a list of about half a dozen poems to choose from, and then the students were to pick one from that list and then prepare to perform it for the class, but then also to couple it with a personal story, something from their own life experience, and some uh, rather engaging and intriguing uh, outcomes resulted. And so we'll share two of those today. The first is, was put together by Megan Blank and the second by Nathan Raymer. I will be reciting Snow Geese by Mary Oliver from her book, Why I Wake Early. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. What a task to ask of anything or any one, and yet it is ours, not by the century or the year, but by the hour. One fall day, I heard above me, and above the sting of the wind, a sound I did not know, and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese, winging it faster than the ones we usually see, and, being the color of snow, catching the sun, so they were, in part at least, golden. 
I held my breath, as we do sometimes to stop time when something wonderful has touched us, as with a match, which is lit and bright, but does not hurt in the common way, but delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I've never seen them again. Maybe I will, someday, somewhere. Maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, joyfully, and clearly. Now, I don't have a traditional introduction for my story, but I think, or rather, I hope you'll be able to understand why I chose uh, this poem. The title of my story is Remembering, or why I chose this poem. When we read Snow Geese aloud in class, my mind flew to visiting my Grammy's house as a child, which is situated in rural Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I heard the snow geese in this poem, as I heard them often over my Grammy's house when I would visit. Her house is located a mile from a lake, which I could see from her kitchen window, and geese were always flying to and fro from that lake. On fall days, I could hear them, squawking and honking as they flapped their way across empty cornfields to get to the lake. And often as a child, I'd stay overnight at my Grammy's house. In the morning, she'd make buckwheat pancakes with molasses on mine and applesauce on hers. And we'd drink her powdered milk, because I was the only one in the family who liked her powdered milk. And later, we'd bundle up, go outside, and walk to her garden, listening to the geese occasionally squawking and honking overhead. But you can't see the lake anymore. The view was covered by new, large, modern houses by the time I turned 14. And you can't meet my Grammy. She died of breast cancer a year and a half ago while I was on SST in China. But as I got older, and she was becoming frailer, I realized the importance of these childhood memories, the importance of noticing life while it is still with you. And the last months we had together were so valuable because I noticed every little thing. Now, some of the older memories I have of times we spent together are getting fuzzier each year, but I can't lose the feelings I felt while we were together. And there are times, like when I read Snow Geese, that the memories seem clearer than they had in months. So I performed this poem in her memory, and the memories I have of us together, those moments in time that I noticed and can cherish today. I think most of us have had times in our lives where we could identify with having an indescribable connection to this earth and the components in it. We each are such a small part, yet we are all indispensable because with any missing pieces, there is not a whole. In the poem I will tell for you, even the existence of a small cricket was an important component of building the events of the universe, which none of us can imagine the vastness of. Later, then, I'd like you to keep in mind this connection of the pieces to the whole as I tell you about a time where I could identify with the speaker of the poem or perhaps with the cricket. Song of the Builder by Mary Oliver 
On a summer morning, I sat down on a hillside to think about God, a worthy pastime. Near me, I saw a single cricket. It was moving the trains of the hillside this way and that way. How great was its energy, how humble its effort. Let us hope it will always be like this, each of us going on in our inexplicable ways, building the universe. It was spring break time at Heston College. I'm a Heston transfer, and I had never been anywhere great for spring break, so a buddy and I decided that we were just going to get in the car and start driving. So we packed up, we loaded up with lots of water and crackers and uh, just got in the car and started driving west. We just drove and drove, passing by the states, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada. And if I had more time this morning, I could tell you about some of the great things we did, about how we went to the Hoover Dam and tried to roll pennies down it to see if we could get them to stay on edge, or how we went to the Grand Canyon and made paper airplanes and watched them sail out of sight as they just coasted down into the canyon. We went to Las Vegas and saw all the glitz and glamour, did the whole thing with the lights, but we decided that we wanted to get out of the city. We wanted to experience some of the nature uh, that that region had to offer. So we just drove out randomly once again one afternoon, about 70 miles away from the city of Vegas, just took a scenic road and... Uh, pulled off and looked for a hill or a mountain that looked like it was interesting to climb, parked at the side of the road, grabbed some water, and started heading up. As we reached the top and caught our breath, we turned around to scope the view around us, and we were just so captivated by the beauty. We just couldn't even move, so we just sat there and stared at the sky and the horizon as the sun went down. And as it got dark and the stars came out, we had to just stand up and stare. The sky was so large. It wasn't just your typical beautiful night that we all talk about with the stars, but it was beyond words. It was beyond comprehension. The constellation Orion was out right in front of us, and I saw stars in the belt and in the sword of Orion that I had never even seen before. To our left, Vegas was just a column, a tower of light towards the sky. And I felt this immense connection at that point that I felt so big, like I was as big as the open sky. And somehow, at the same time, I felt so small and so insignificant and so humble. I felt connected to everyone, like somehow I was connected to everyone that had ever gazed upon those stars. I felt connected to the earth, like there was this energy that was flowing through the mountain below us and into our feet and through my body and out into the sky. It was just amazing. We passed several hours just standing and staring at this amazing sight and the amazing creation of our God before we decided it was finally time to head down. And as we were climbing down this mountain in the dark, I think I could identify with the speaker of the poem that this was somehow our way of contributing that by having the amazing mountaintop experience that we did, that we were participating in what the poem was describing. Let us hope it will always be like this, each of us going on in our inexplicable ways, building the universe. 
This story comes from 1991, during the first Persian Gulf War. Got married in a hurry and we had us a son Back in 1973 I was drafted at the end of the Vietnam War Though I never did go overseas But I remember the look on the ones who came back Their faces still haunt me so And I made myself a promise I would do what it takes So Jimmy didn't have to go Cause if Jimmy didn't have to go There's nothing I wouldn't do That boy means the world to me He ought to mean the world to you I don't know why we throw lives away And come home with nothing to show I only know I would sell my soul If Jimmy didn't have to go I went from the army to the army reserves There's nothing that moves I can't fix I didn't think much about it Just a weekend warrior Then I turned 36 And they called me in And they shipped me out I'm thinking now I could have said no But I whispered to Kathy We would finish it early So Jimmy didn't have to go Cause if Jimmy didn't have to go There's nothing I wouldn't do That boy means the world to me And he ought to mean the world to you I don't know why we throw lives away And come home with nothing to show I only know I would sell my soul If Jimmy didn't have to go They said it wouldn't come to hand to hand Though the border's just a mile away Well, the enemy surprised us from behind They were running back the other way Guess they were looking for a place to hide Guess they were looking for a face they'd know Wondering what the hell they were doing there And why they ever had to go but if Jimmy didn't have to go There's nothing I wouldn't do That boy means the world to me He ought to mean the world to you I don't know why we throw lives away And come home with nothing to show I only know I would sell my soul If Jimmy didn't have to go I killed a soldier with a silent knife I pulled him down on top of me I looked into the eyes looking back into mine He couldn't have been 17 I held him as he died so quiet I held him as he died so slow I held him till I knew it wasn't enough that Jimmy didn't have to go They sent me up for court-martial Cause I wouldn't do a thing I was told Their lawyer said I was a coward Mine said I was just too old 
But it wasn't the fear of the bombs above or the fear of the gas below. I'm afraid to meet the eyes of the Iraqi father whose Jimmy had to go. And if his Jimmy didn't have to go, God, there's nothing I would do. world to me now. He ought to mean the world to you. I don't know why we throw lives away. Come home with nothing to show. I only know there's a time to say no. And Jimmy didn't have to go. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie and Karen. More from them today at one and this evening as well. Uh, the most recent performance assignment the class undertook this semester came uh, to a conclusion just this week. And the students were to find a narrative, a story, anywhere in Scripture, and they were to prepare to perform that story for the class. The only catch was that the story had to have a narrator and at least two other characters who spoke during the story. And we'll share two of those scripture readings. Uh, the first is presented by Sarah Noah, and the second by Tara Hirschberger. Following those two interpretive readings, the whole class will offer ascending to conclude our time of worship today. There's some debate about who actually wrote the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Although it is known that Daniel actually wrote the rest of the book of Daniel as prophecies to King Nebuchadnezzar, it is assumed that during this story, Daniel is actually away on business. At this time, he would have hired a man to perform his duties in his absence. This man would have been an employee of King Nebuchadnezzar and would then relate the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back to Daniel when he returned to Babylon. I'll be starting with Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. In the first seven verses of this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar builds a gold idol and sets it at the center of town. He then issues a decree stating that anytime music is played, everyone in town must immediately stop what they're doing and begin worshiping this idol. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 to 30 from the New International Version of the Bible. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that any time music is played, everyone in town must fall down and worship the image. But, but there are some whom you have set over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who paid no attention to you, O king. They, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and you are ready to fall down and worship, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, 
O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it. And even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest men in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their trousers, turbans, robes, and other clothes, were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the flames so hot that the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men we threw into the furnace? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the prefects, governors, satraps, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that their fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his servants and rescued his people. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve any god other than their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. These words from the prophet Isaiah, quoted in Matthew 4.16, reflect the state of a nation and the desperate hope of a people. In Matthew's gospel, we get a glimpse of that great light and the promise of life, the Messiah. At a time of hypocrisy, when the Jewish community was run by a brood of vipers, there emerged a savior, savior who could overcome prejudices, temptations, and the devil himself. Baptism and temptation, preparing the way for the Lord, from Matthew 3 to 4, 11, New International Version. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made out of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. 
His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that the Lord God could make children of Abraham out of these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God only, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. He put before them another parable. The, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So, so that, that the, the birds, birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Go in search of turning points of discovery and go in peace. <laughs>